Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 23. I'm thankful for all the effort that Brother Brian put into this service this evening, and, and really not even just this service, but really throughout the entire missions conference. He's pretty much uh, organized the majority of it with some help from others, but uh, thank you for your effort there, Brother Brian. Uh, Luke chapter 23 tonight, uh, we will be discussing the final words of a great man. The final words of a great man. We'll read only two verses, verse 33 and 34, and we will not be long tonight. I would be quite surprised if the sermon's over 20 to 25 minutes long. I think it will be relatively short, you know, because I'm ready for some ice cream. Uh, but honestly, as we, we look at this, and, you know, as a preacher, I wondered what, what to preach on on home missions night. I really just believe that the gospel is what gets you saved, but it's also going to be what gets you serving as well. And there's no, uh, I'm all about Paul's writings, and, and I'm all about all the New Testament books, but there's nothing to encourage me to do something for the Lord more than realizing what he's already done for me. And so we'll notice uh, in Luke chapter 23, 33 through 34, a very, very famous passage of scripture the bible says in verse 33 and when they were come to the place which is called calvary there they crucified him and the malefactors one on the right hand and the other on the left then said jesus father forgive them for they know not what they do they parted his raiment and cast lots. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you tonight and I simply ask for the seriousness of this text to be realized by every person in the room. Lord, I pray that we would not begin to let our minds wander to the many sporting events that take place today, to the many things that are on our plate for tomorrow, but Lord, may we focus in, in this brief time, on what you've done for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would enlighten us and show us things that we've never seen before. And maybe, Lord, just encourage us to do more for you. And I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Now, it's been said, and there's a popular thinking process, that a man's final words on this earth can reveal a lot about his character. I believe that to be very true. I would not, however, like to be saying, pass me a Twinkie or some other thing as I open my eyes in heaven. That's not exactly what I would want. There was a man, however, by the name of John Sedwick, Major General of the Union Army. You will now see his picture on the screens as uh, Brother JT has my back, no doubt. There we go. There he is. He always shows up right on time. He's my co-captain of the SS Visitation. That's my bow fishing boat. That way we can say we're on visitation when we go bow fishing. But right here you see a, a man by the name of Major General John Sedwick. Now this man was a very high-ranking official in the uh, Union Army at this time. Uh, very, very, uh, I, I guess you could say he was very endeared to those who followed him because uh, they had endearing names for him. However, he was a great leader. Now, on May 9th of 1864, something took place that, with all of his accomplishments, this will be the one thing that he is most knownly, uh, known for. 
For on this day, they were about 500 yards from a group of sharpshooters uh, of the Confederate side. Now, they felt as if that was a very safe distance, a very comfortable distance. In fact, the Confederates at this distance had been shooting rounds all day long at them with no uh, luck as to land a bullet. Now, as this takes place, basically, Brother or Mr. Sedwick laughs at his men every time a bullet is shot because they all duck, as if ducking would remove you, <laughs> your presence from in front of a bullet. But they all duck, and he begins to make fun of them and begins to shame them at how they're not courageous. And he says, I am ashamed of you dodging that way. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. Immediately after uttering these words, a bullet struck Mr. Sedwick directly under his left eye and took his life immediately. His last words were, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. Well, Mr. Sedowick, you looked very elephanty that day. <laughs> what a strange story. What a strange thing that somebody could uh, uh, have say those words and then immediately be uh, uh, departed from the company that he was in the presence of. Now what you're seeing on the screen is uh, the remake of the event that took place that I just described. Mr. Sedowick died this evening. So... I know that's a humorous story, but no doubt there is some truth to the thought that a man's last words reveal a lot about a man's character. And for a, a, many a rich man have left this world speaking of their money, of where it was to go and how it was to be divided. Many of people who uh, were very selfish seemed very selfish on the day of their death. But there was a man that we read about just now in scriptures, no doubt the greatest man to ever live, for he was God in the flesh. And I understand tonight that these were not his last words, however, they were some of his last words. I understand that on earth he resurrected and in bodily form revealed himself to his disciples and, and said many things to them. But when you start making sermons, you can start naming sermons, all right? So you just back off my sermon title. But I just believe as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said the things most near and dear to his heart at the time. The last words of a great man. You ask tonight, why should I serve? Why should I get involved? Why should I do more than what I'm currently doing right now? And that doesn't extend to the person that's not serving that extends to the person who is serving because we can all do more for the cause of Christ. For that's the only way that anything's going to be accomplished for the cause of Christ is each and every one of us say, God, I can do more for you. Man, Jesus' last words on this earth. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now we read two verses, but we'll find all three uh, items that we will speak on tonight in that small phrase. Why should you do more? Why should we serve? Why should we strive? Why should we put every effort forth to do something for the cause of Christ? First of all, I want you to notice tonight, because they were forgiven. Because they were forgiven. You know, it's been said by D.L. Moody that the voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. 
Someone once said, and I looked up to see who said this, because I, I think it's a beautiful thing to say. I wish I could claim it as my own, but I cannot. But someone said, forgiveness is the fragrance the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. You see, when Christ came to this earth, the rose of heaven came. And we, with cruel hands, tormented Him and mocked Him and crushed Him. And the fragrance He left behind was forgiveness. If you were to summon up everything that Christ's ministry entailed while He was on this earth, and Christ did many things, He began the local New Testament church, of which we all are able to partake of tonight, He uh, uh, healed many of the hurting, and he preached many a great sermon, and he did many wonderful things. But to sum it all up in one word, it would have to be forgiveness. And as Christ hang on the cross this day, and I will try not getting too graphic because I don't see a need in that, we as Christians know what our Savior had to go through that day on the cross. We know the agony was far beyond anything that we have ever felt, and I in the past have tried to describe to you that while often we imagine it as a physical agony, the emotional torment of the cross had to be just as equally painful for our Savior. That day Jesus was separated from the Father and the Holy Spirit for the first time and the only time in history. And every time that a man, someone as weak and as frail as me, beat him with their own hands and they spit on him with his with their own saliva and, and pulled his beard with their own weak hands. Every single time a man did that, you know what Christ had to say to them? Forgive him. Now at the climax of the crucifixion, he hangs upon a cross, no doubt struggling for every breath, no doubt hurting every time he does anything. No doubt in most severe pain probably ever known to mankind. And he looks at the crowd who's still jeering at him and still mocking at him and still uh, making fun of him. And he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. I'm thankful the Lord has forgiven me. You know, there's many things that Christ could have said. Maybe you don't know this, but according to Roman historians, the people who were crucified, no matter who they were, most of the time began to blaspheme everyone, from their persecutioners to their parents. Many men went to the cross with their tongues cut out so the executioners did not have to listen to them. Christ, however, did not say those type of things. In fact, Peter even tells us in chapter 2 and verse 23 of 1 Peter, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. And every time someone mocked him, every time someone scorned him, every time someone laughed at him or jeered him, whatever you want to think, every single time they did that, you know what was on Christ's mouth? You know what was in his mind? Forgive him. The ultimate pain, the ultimate sacrifice this day, and all Christ could think was forgiveness. Oh, he could have said many things. He could have said, Father, 
by my own power, because he did not call, need to call a legion of angels. For if the angels had arrived, it would have been only by his power they would have delivered him. He didn't need to call angels. He could have said, by my power, I am free. He could have said that, and it would have been accomplished. Oh, he could have said many things as the, as the man began to uh, beat him and mock him. He could have said, cease to be, and that man would have fallen dead. Oh, he could have said many things, but you know what he chose? Forgiveness. You know why you ought to serve? Because you're not the only one that's been forgiven. And we all gloriously and thankfully take part in the salvation that our Savior died for that day. We all, no doubt, are excited and enjoy the salvation and the freedom that we now have, that we no longer are under the bondage of the law, but we're freed by the sacrifice of Christ. And no doubt we all are excited, we're all ecstatic, we're all amazed at what He's done for us. Did you know the Bible says that He came for the world? So why should you serve? Because He said, forgiven to all. There's people that just don't know. There's people that have never heard. And I'm not talking about in Africa. I'm talking about in Joshua. There's people that are so confused, and that's the greatest trick of the devil. If I can muddy the waters enough, they'll not be able to see clearly the Savior of the world. And there's people who are so confused about religion. And when they think pastor, they think of a priest who molests boys. And they're so confused, they don't know anything about Jesus other than there's an occasional movie made about him, and he's on posters. You know what Christ has to say to that person, that boy, that girl, that man, that woman? Father, forgive them. Not only are they forgiven, but the second reason we ought to serve is because of their father. Now, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not. For they know not. Now, it's not long after this in Acts chapter 3 when Peter is preaching to the same group of people that crucified our Lord and Savior. Not long at all after they have taken the cross down and Christ has left the earth and He's commissioned the church and He's done everything that He came to accomplish as the Old Testament prophecies had said He would. And now in Acts chapter 3, Peter is preaching to those who put Christ on the cross. And Peter says, And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. But then Peter lays it on them. Repent ye therefore. And be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. The same group of people that put Christ on the cross, now Peter is preaching to. 
Peter says, stands up and says, Ye men, why do you marvel at these miracles? Why do you marvel at this man who now has the ability to walk? Why do you marvel? God, knowing your ignorance that put Christ on the cross, God, knowing that, now commands you to repent. It's the same group of people. The same group of people that put Christ on the cross now have the opportunity to receive the gift of the cross. Because of their folly. They did it in ignorance. You know what's sad? It's how anti-God our world has become. And more specifically, how anti-God our country has become. A country founded upon the Word of God. God's name oozes out of almost every fundamental uh, document that uh, established our country. It's, uh, It's even on our money. And yet... Every single man, for the most part, in our country would absolutely deny the existence of God. That's, inc- that, that, that's insane to me. That is, that is crazy to me. You know what David says about men like that? Psalm chapter 53. Oh, our country has become very anti-God. But David says this. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Romans chapter 3 tells us, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. And I don't care who you are, if you deny the very existence of God, you still have just as much part in the sacrifice of God as I do. How hard for it is to digest that, though. You see, the same people that put Christ on the cross were the same people who then would later have to accept the cross. And our country is becoming anti-God. And you say, I live in the promised land. Boy, if this is the promised land, we are struggling. Texas is just as anti-God as any. Go Go to Dallas. Go to Austin. Go to Cleburne. I was at a Christian church yesterday. You couldn't tell they were They were godly. Our our culture has become anti-godly. Christians, we need to shape up. We need to have a burden about us. We need to encourage ourselves in the Word of God and and strengthen ourselves in the power of God and understand that now is the time that Christians need to rise up more than any before. For the times are darker now. And the good thing is that the darker the night, the brighter the light of the gospel can shine. You know why you need to serve? Because they've been forgiven and they're just full of folly. They just, they're fools. They're ignorant. And all they need to hear is the power of the gospel. Now, you can't tell me the man who denies the existence of God is happy. Because at the end of the day, he has to look in the mirror and say, I'm the greatest in the universe. 
I don't know about you, but when I wake up, like this morning, I didn't feel very great. People need the Lord. They need His help, but mostly they need His love. So we've seen that uh, people need the Lord, and we need to serve because they've been forgiven. Secondly, because their failures, uh, I'm sorry, because their folly, and thirdly, because their failures. Now, Jesus' words on the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What they do. We all understand the context of what's taking place. Jesus is hanging on the cross for the sins of the world. And it was the same cruel hands that placed Him on the cross that He is speaking of. And every time they put a blindfold over His eyes and and they punched Him in the face and said, Oh, if you're Savior of the world, if you're the King of the Jews, if you're the Messiah, go ahead and tell us who that was that hit you. No doubt Christ could have not only rattled off His name, but His social security number. And Christ is hanging on the cross now. And the words that come from his mouth in excruciating pain is, Lord, this thing that they've done, the works that they've done in taking me and with cruel hands have slain the Lamb of God, this, forgive them for their works. Our country's wicked. Our city's wicked. You go down to the movie house and you can't even take your kids... I don't even want to sit in one. I don't even want to go to the Lego movie because the previews are too wicked. And the Lego movie is awesome. You say, Brother Andrew, you're getting off topic. Maybe a little. I've got to stretch a 20-minute sermon into a 25-minute sermon. Give me a break. Man, you go <laughs> watching TV the other night. My wife and I watched... We're watching something this innocent like a Ranger game or a, a basketball game, and a preview comes on that I literally had trouble falling asleep at night because of. We're wicked. Our country's departed so far from the morals of God's word, it's unreal. There's no right or wrong anymore, it's all subjective. Whatever you feel, whatever's pleasurable, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know what Christ has to say to that? Forgive them for the works they do. You know what the Bible tells me that I was before I came to know Christ? Ephesians chapter 2 says, Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. And that's right, I did. According to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, and the children of disobedience. It's labeling me as a child of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You ask yourself, why should I serve? Because they're just children of disobedience who need to become children of God. I was Ephesians chapter 2. And thank God I read John 3.16. They just are doing works that they don't know. They've just failed. 
And I don't care what sin is the one that is your trigger sin that you claim is the nastiest, the filthiest. I can't even be around the person that partakes in that. I don't care what it is. The Bible says that all manner of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven unto men. Jesus said that from his own mouth. God will forgive sin. Forgiveness is available for all who fail. We just got to know that their failures don't outweigh their forgiveness. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 speaks about the Apostle Paul. We all understand his history and his past. And how God took probably the least likely candidate to serve him in all the world and made him the greatest missionary this world has ever seen. You say, Brother Andrew, I, I probably, I, there's no way I could teach a Sunday school class. I bet the assassin of the Jews was saying the same thing. You can probably serve, God can probably use you if he can use an assassin. But Paul says this, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but notice this, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. That's the problem with our culture. That's the problem with society is they're doing it ignorantly in unbelief. But God will forgive. They've only got to believe. They've only got to hear. And you are the way that will happen. There's a man by the name of Max Lucado. No doubt many of you have heard his name. He wrote a book entitled, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior. Maybe you've read it, maybe you have not. But in the book, Mr. Lucado tells the story of a young Brazilian girl by the name of Christina. Christina lived on a pallet in the countryside. Just a small town. Never been outside the confines of the city. She began to wonder, would big city life be better? She began to question, is this all there is? And so Christina decided to go, leave everything she had ever known, and embark upon a journey to the big city. Maria, her mother, did not know about it until Christina was already gone. Maria set out on a course to find her daughter and bring her back. As she left... Maria stopped by the drugstore to do one last thing. And she spent every dollar she had on photo booth pictures. She went into the photo booth and had a pocket full of black and white pictures as she went to the town of Rio de Janeiro. As Maria got to the city, she knew that her daughter was far too prideful to come back on her own. And she knew that she had no skill or talent to speak of to earn a living, so Maria knew that when pride meets hunger, a person will do things that are unthinkable. And so Maria, the mother, began to search in every bar, every nightclub, every back alley, anywhere that prostitutes or streetwalkers could be found. She did not find her daughter. She hung a picture of herself with a note on the back. Two weeks passes by, and Maria is now completely out of money. 
has no way to get in touch with her daughter. Her efforts have all fallen short, and so Maria returns to the town in the countryside. Now, Christina, not knowing her mother had ever come to town, one day walked down the stairwell of a hotel. The small town seemed very distant at this point. No longer did Christina ever wear a smile. Her eyes, you could tell, had been experienced from the pleasures and the pains of this world. But as Christina came down the staircase, she saw a picture, a familiar picture. As she drew closer, she realized it was a picture of her very own mother. As her eyes filled with tears and her throat kind of choked down a, a cry, Maria picked, Christina picked up the picture and began to wonder, how did this get here? How is a picture of my mother, what is it doing here? Maria, Christina turned over the picture, and on the back, the note that her mother had written said, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, please come home. Christina did. She is the Lord's final words of the most agonizing day in history. Or no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, come home. But it took the effort of a mother, someone who cared, and a lot of love and labor to get that message out. The gospel has no legs but yours. It has no voice but yours. And I just believe, church, if we're going to do anything for the cause of Christ, each and every one of us must make a decision to do it.